the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hey, everybody. We're happy to be back. Yes. We had a switcheroo today. Mm-hmm. Wendy, you're usually the one to look at the questions ahead of time. Right. I like to go in cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, but today you were busy. I was. And I volunteered. Thank you. And I have a new appreciation for your job. <laughs> we obviously can't get to all the questions that we mm-hmm. are sent. But, man, I, I, feel, I feel a burden in my heart right now for... The people out there who have such pressing questions, uh, a lot of them are, are more fitting for a counselor or for a priest in spiritual direction than the setting of our, our podcast here. But I just want everybody to know out there that we we hold you in our hearts, uh, whether we're able to answer your questions or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hold you in our hearts. We know there are a lot of pressing, really painful things people are struggling with, and you're looking for answers we hope our podcast, even if we don't answer your question specifically, we hope we're giving you tools to to find the answers or to understand more the church's teachings so as to get the answer yourself. I think that's a great point. Even the questions that we can't uh, present on the podcast, they are informing us about some of the the struggles of the hearts of our listeners. Yeah. And sometimes in answering another person's question, we're hoping to include something that reaches that place in the in the human heart, right. whether or not this specific topic can come up in our podcast, you know, directly. So I hope no one out there says, well, they never answered my question. If, you, if you're if you a regular listener, I hope that you're open also to the Holy Spirit drawing things that from our, our discussion that will apply even to your situation, whether we talk about that specific question. And we ask your understanding in advance just for the fact that we aren't able to answer all the questions that we get. Wendy, I have a new appreciation for your <laughs> for your role in this podcast. And I also want to share because you didn't get to read all the encouraging words today. Oh, nice. There are lots, lots of words of encouragement. Someone wrote from Portugal who has, I believe, listened to almost every episode, some several times, if I'm remembering the the response That's correctly. That's now a year and a half of weekly podcasts, yeah. so we're like at the 80 episode point or something. Yeah, and and he was he was just sharing how I, I believe it was a male. Maybe I'm I don't know why I'm saying he. Maybe it was a woman. Uh, forgive me. Um, but yeah, this person was just sharing how much this podcast has blessed him or her, like at, in deep deep ways, like mm-hmm. life transformative ways, and that's so encouraging that to hear. Is. Yeah. It really is. It keeps us going. Thank it you does. so much this for sharing that. This is why we do what we do. That's right. We know we're, we're limited. We can't do everything. Uh, I, one of the burdens I was feeling was just the people People are in such pain. There's been such difficult situations in so many people's lives. And, and we just know that we're praying for you. Know that Jesus does have a plan for your life. It's a plan to prosper you. The reason I'm Catholic is because of the promise that being a Catholic takes us into the, the the crux of the place, if you will, the crux of the mystery in which all of our sorrow and pain has the potential to be transformed into glory and joy. Mm-hmm. 
That's why I'm Catholic. That's what I'm banking on. So all you people out there who are suffering with pain, struggles, questions, anxieties, sexual abuse from from childhood, uh, abusive relationships within marriage, pornography addiction, uh, these are just some of the things that are on my mind from reading so many of the questions. Know that the Lord has a plan to prosper you and your grief surrendered to him. He promises can and will become joy. That's our hope. And we see it in our lives and we see it in other people's yeah, lives, even people who seem so disadvantaged by so many circumstances. The Holy Spirit is not intimidated yeah. by anyone's circumstances. Amen. Here, I'm going to share a little story of hope here before we get to our first question. Uh, I've been in, in text exchange with a friend of mine who, uh, for obvious reasons, shall remain nameless, but he ha- he was sexually abused as a boy. And I met him years ago, and he's been on quite a journey. I know that I'm saying this in light of some of the questions I saw today mm-hmm. about people with sexual abuse in their past. And um, he, he, has, he has really let the light into the darkness, and that's a scary thing to do, to let the light into the darkness. But he's on a profound path of transformation. I just hold that out as hope to those who have suffered similar things. The Lord knows your suffering. He has borne your suffering. Your suffering is his suffering, which means his glory is also your glory. Uh, That's our hope, that as we unite our sufferings with his, we also get united with his glory. There's this line uh, that just was resonating with me recently from one of Paul's letters where he says, we carry in our body the death of the Lord so that the life of the Lord might also be manifested in our bodies. That's awesome. Uh, And whatever you may have experienced in your life that is a kind of death, that's the death of the Lord. The Lord has united himself with you in that death, and we carry in our bodies the death of the Lord so that we might also carry in our bodies the life of the Lord. May that promise be fulfilled in all of our lives. Amen. Amen, indeed. Shall we go to our first question? Absolutely. I have a question from James. Hi, James. James actually had a list of questions for us. They all kind of relate to the complementarity of man and woman and whether or not we see that played out in our lives in their equal dignity and complementarity. Right. So the first one is, why did God create a patriarchy for the human family and for the hierarchy of his church? Patriarchy and hierarchy are the two words that just leap out at me there. Those, mm-hmm. are, those are loaded words in our culture today. Mm-hmm. And you know me, Wendy, and if you're a faithful listener, you know me as well out there that I love etymology. Mm-hmm. Where'd the word come Where from? Where do the words come from? So, archy means order. Okay. Patri means fatherhood. Okay. Patriarchy means the order of fatherhood. Hierarchy means sacred order. So I think to answer these questions, we have to keep in mind the original meaning of the words. Uh, Patriarchy has become, sadly, in our culture, uh, a word that's attached to domination, unjust discrimination against women. uh, When we say the patriarchy, that's kind of what's loaded in there today. And that is also attached to the word hierarchy. We think the opposite of hierarchy is equality. But if we understand what authentic hierarchy is, sacred order, 
The opposite of hierarchy is not equality. The opposite of hierarchy is anarchy. No order at all. There is a sacred order to creation. There's a sacred order to the way God has designed things. There's a sacred order to our humanity. And that order is revealed in our creation as male and female. There's there's an order that it's the man who becomes the father, it's the woman who becomes the mother. You can't have an, an order of fatherhood in the human experience without the order of motherhood. They go together. So I think at the, at the base of these questions are how do we live out the sexual difference in a way that honors and respects the dignity of the two sexes? And we see right there at the beginning of the fallen experience of our humanity, right after sin came into the human story, male domination comes into the human story as well. Your desire will be for your husband and he will dominate you. That's after sin. This is not part of God's plan. That's where, the, I would say, that's the root of why the word patriarchy gets a, a, a bad rap. The correction to that male domination is precisely husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He did not come to dominate. He did not come to control. He did not come to enslave. He did not come to oppress. He took on slavery in order to set us free. He took the form of a slave. He came not to be served. He came to serve. That's what it means for a man to reclaim a, a proper order of his manhood, which involves, in the case of married life, typically being a husband, obviously, and typically being a father. So the order of fatherhood, patriarchy. So to redeem that word, patriarchy, we have to understand, we have to redeem the word hierarchy, sacred order. The sacred order of motherhood and fatherhood is a mutual, reciprocal, complementary gift of self that leads to the flourishing of both. So the ne next question is, why is there no gender complementarity at the altar during Mass in a visible way? Okay, so here James has, there's some background in James's mind. He understands, it seems, uh, some of what John Paul II teaches here, which goes the whole way back to the fathers of the Church. This is not a new idea uh, that the Eucharist, the, the sacred liturgy, is a nuptial mystery. What does that mean? It means it's the union of the bridegroom and the bride. John Paul II says that marriage is not just one of the seven sacraments, but it's the model of all of the sacraments, because the goal of all of the sacraments is the union of the bridegroom and the bride, Christ and his church, so that the bride might conceive eternal life. There's true hierarchy, sacred order. For that to happen, you need a bridegroom and you need a bride. You need the father, you need the mother, you need you need masculinity, you need femininity. And this is why, and James, I think, is drawing from this truth, this is why only men can be priests, because priesthood is spiritual fatherhood. Here's that sacred order that's the bridegroom who gives the seed. It's the bride who receives the seed. So the congregation is the bride. Christ is present in the person of the priest, uh, or let's go the other way. The priest is in persona Christi. He's in the person of Christ. That's the sacrament of holy orders. And it seems that James is asking, if the priest is the symbol of the bridegroom, where is the symbol of the bride during the Mass? Well, it's the congregation. It's the church. But it's also, I think he's more specifically, he's saying at the altar. 
what's the visible sign of the bride at the altar? And there is a visible sign of the bride. I think I know what it what is. is it? What is it? What is it? I want to say the chalice. Yeah. Go on. Talk no, about you, it. you talk about it. Oh, well, I guess I've heard you talk about this a bit, the, the chalice being um, open yeah. and receptive and even um, the name of it coming from the base of a flower. Right, which calyx, is, the calyx mm -hmm. of a flower. We see the root of chalice, calyx. Mm -hmm. We have to understand this is, this is what's so awesome about sacramentality. And the basic principle here is that grace builds on nature. It does not cancel out nature. It builds on it. You can't understand what's happening at the Eucharistic liturgy unless you understand what's happening with flowers, unless you understand mm. what's happening with nature's reproductive process, which culminates mm. in our creation as male and female. That's the natural reality. That's the sacred order written right into nature. There, there is male, there is female for the sake of fertility, for the sake of new mm -hmm. life. Eternal life, the life of grace comes to us through the Eucharist, through the sacramental liturgy. But here we have grace building on nature. What nature? The nature of fertility. What are we putting on the altar? We're putting on the altar the fertility of the earth. It's right in the prayers of the Mass. The fruit of the vine, the work of human hands, fruit of the earth, work of human hands. We're putting nature's fertility, we're putting nature's reproductive process right there on the altar. And just as the, the calyx of a flower opens up so that the dewfall comes in, and little drops of moisture, the dewfall hits those petals that have opened up in the flower, that moisture goes down into the calyx of the flower to enable the whole reproductive mystery of new life to come through the flower. Here's where grace builds on nature in the Mass. The priest prays that the Holy Spirit would come upon these gifts like the dewfall, right? Right over the chalice, he prays that. The chalice is the symbol of the bride at the altar, and the altar is a kind of marriage bed. So uh, if this is new to you guys out there listening to this, I urge you to reflect more deeply on what St. John Paul II has given us. Uh, I'll point you to one of my books where I unfold this in some detail. It's called Heaven's Song. Uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, again, I always I, I share this not because we want your money buying these books. If you don't have the money, let us know. I'll send you a copy for free of Heaven's Song. If you do have the money, great. That helps keep our lights on and keep the ministry going. Uh, but yeah, Heaven's Song is where I go into how the liturgy is revealed. This is John Paul II's term. He says, the language of the liturgy is modeled on the language of the body as male and female and the call of the two to become one flesh. I think James has another question that's yes, part of this, yes. if I recall correctly. Mm -hmm. So, and I think this one maybe goes back to some of the things that he brought up in his first question. He asks, why is there no gender complementarity in the organization of the church. And I, I feel like maybe it was sort of dangling from his first question when we talk about patriarchy and hierarchy, the idea of women in leadership roles within the church. It does sound like what he's getting at there, but um, I, wanna, I wanna zoom in on this word organization. Mm -hmm. Again, I love words, what they mean. What does it mean to be organized? What does it mean to be an organization? Mm -hmm. Well, we can be very specific here with the theology of the body. Male and female, 
literally have the organs by which they are organized for one another. We are, we are literally organized for one another, meaning we have the organs that allow this life-giving, holy communion. We see this also in the structure of the church. We have in the organ when, when he says organization of the church, as you pointed out, I think he means the leadership of the church. The church is led by priests. However, if we call that, and, and we can based on what Jesus says about appointing the apostles and making Peter the head of the apostles, we call that apostolic ministry the the Petrine ministry. Peter's the head of the apostles. He's the... And Petrine means of Petrine Peter. Petrine means of Peter. Thank you for, for clarifying. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. Petrine means of Peter. But here, John Paul II provides a brilliant insight. John Paul II was giving an address to all the, the hierarchy of the church, and he said to all these priests, do not forget the Marian dimension of the church precedes comes before, is more fundamental. The Marian dimension of the church precedes the Petrine dimension of the church. What does that mean? This, this line from that address actually made it into the catechism. And it means this, that the church is fundamentally feminine. What does that mean? We have to understand the symbols of the masculine and the feminine. Why is God always the bridegroom? Why is the church always the bride? Why can't it be the other way around? If we make God to be the bride and the church to be the bridegroom, it changes fundamentally the meaning and sacred order of things, hierarchy, sacred order. This is why God is the bridegroom. It says right in Scripture, and it's just a basic principle of metaphysics, right? God comes prior to us. This is love, not that we first loved God, but that He first loved us. Look at the anatomy of the marital embrace. It's not just biology, it's theology. It's the bridegroom who gives the seed. It's the bride who receives the seed. All of humanity, therefore, is Marian before God. We are meant to be in that Marian posture. The church is Marian. It's open, receptive, bridal before it is Petrine, meaning go make disciples of all nations, go plant that seed, go sow that seed, right? Where, do the, where does a man train to be a priest? He trains to be a priest in the seminary. <laughs> and this is not just a coincidence that it's called seminary, because the, the man is trained, he is organized by God, and then trained to give the seed, right? This is, this is so much deeper than just biology. It's theology, theology of the body. So if the church is to be authentically Petrine, in other words, if it's to give the seed that is really God's seed, we're not God. That seed does not originate in us, which means we have to first open up to receive that seed. That's what John Paul II means when he says the Marian dimension of the church precedes the Petrine. I think, too, you know, it's very important to remember that um, that women do have many roles in the church in in their uh, you know acknowledged throughout history. I think we're looking at some historical changes in the roles of women in society. Yes. 
um, and how that relates to the experience of the church itself. But we can see going way back in history, many women who have been so graced to um, not only receive beautiful revelations or insights from the Lord, but to write about them or to share them in other ways that have had major impact on the life of the whole church. Who are some of your favorites? Um, well, I'm thinking about Teresa of Avila at the moment. I'm thinking about Catherine of Siena. She's who, a biggie. You know, really, her wisdom was sought by all these members of, That's the, right, of the hierarchy. hierarchy. Um, because it was so clear that the Lord was working through yeah. her and through her openness to she him. She gave a big boot to the Pope, said, get your butt back to Rome. She was very bold. <laughs> she was very bold. And that was part of her calling as a woman to be bold in that way. And it certainly ruffled some people's feathers, but it was it was right. She was obedient to the Holy Spirit. And there are... Um, you know, and as we go forward in history, we find more and more of the writings of women because we have more educated women yeah, yeah. writing. We have more of a culture that's realizing we need to treasure these and not, you know, as a whole human society, neglect the contributions of women. But that's been a process that has been going on in society, you know, um, since the fall and all the work of redemption that's unfolding throughout history. And even now, at every level of the hierarchy, there are women involved in advisory roles, in, um, you know, in prayer, in research, in all kinds of ways that are informing the life of the church um, that are essential. And it, that's only growing. And that's you know, that's a beautiful aspect of how our church just becomes more and more um, as the Lord intends it to be. Amen. Amen. And I think... And here I am on a podcast. <laughs> here, we have to acknowledge how, how much pain we're in. There's a deep wound, especially in the heart of women here, because of an exaggeration of the differences between men and women throughout history that have, by and large, favored men. And that wound is very real. That wound needs to be healed. It needs to be acknowledged. Repentance needs to take place. I, I'm, I'm reminded of John Paul II during the Great Jubilee year when he asked for forgiveness on behalf of the Church throughout history in the ways that the Church has failed uh, or member, I think it's better to say certain members of the church have failed to acknowledge the dignity of women. That needs to be acknowledged. Uh, love, I want to just repent to you for the ways that my own broken humanity, that fallen Adam in me that tends to dominate or think my opinion is always the better one, or I see that. I mean, that's just, that's human arrogance, but in a way it's it's, it's also fallen Adam, and we know our struggles over all the years of, that we've been married of how that's played itself out in, in our relationship, and there's a need for continual purification here in the healing of those exaggerated ideas of the differences of men and women. But in seeking healing, we also have to avoid the other extreme, and we're, we've gone from one extreme which exaggerates the difference to the other extreme, which seeks to erase the difference. Right. Where does the difference matter? 
The difference matters precisely in the call to fatherhood and motherhood. And priesthood is not a career choice. Priesthood is a call to fatherhood. Uh, Men are called to be fathers. Women are called to be mothers. Men need to be more rightly men. Women need to be more rightly women for us to understand this whole thing about what it means to be human. And, And I'll just say this, and then we can go on. I think the, the modern feminist movement, which started with excellent intentions, uh, John Paul II has, has commended the feminist movement for wanting to correct these imbalances, but he's also pointed out the errors, the, you know, going to the other extreme, and they, they've bought into this idea that in order to claim equality with men, women have to become more like men. But isn't that buying into the fundamental lie that women aren't already equal in dignity to men as women? And I always want to ask the question, what, does, what makes the man the standard anyway? The dignity is that we're both made in the image and likeness of God, but we're made in the image and likeness of God differently, and we need to honor that difference. We need to acknowledge how we haven't honored it. We need to learn to honor it without erasing it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think within all that we've reflected, we've provided some food for thought for James. Yeah. I, I hope that's helpful to you, James. Yeah, I think it will be. Good. This is a question from Gemma. Hi, Gemma. While I know that confession is an essential, powerful, and healing sacrament, I have often dreaded going. I find that confessing my sins is uncomfortable, and I'm always fearful that I will fail to confess everything. Mm. I do not think that I've fully perceived and experienced the true nature of this sacrament. Can you shed some light on it? I've certainly grown in my appreciation of the sacrament of confession over the years. And there was a time, even as an adult, where I I didn't go to confession as regularly as I should. Um, and it's because I didn't have a proper, I had a kind of legalistic understanding of the sacrament and uh, not to like toot my horn or something, but I, I wasn't committing the major sins that I, I had so often fallen into when I was much younger. And I kind of had this legalistic idea, well, so long as I'm not committing the major sins and there's no real reason to go to confession on any regular basis, if I slip up, then I'll go. Um, but that that was a real, as I said, a legalistic understanding. And I, I think a lot of adults, in my experience, we still have our understanding of confession that we got. You know, if you were raised a Catholic, typically you go to confession in second grade. And a lot of Catholic adults still have kind of a second-grade understanding of confession, where you, you go in there, and you list your sins and how many times you did them, and you, you say your act of contrition, you, you, get your, you do your penance and get absolved. And, and that, you know, that, that's a basic, proper understanding. I'm not knocking that. There's nothing wrong with that per se, but there's so much more. This is a sacrament of healing. And one of the things that has been so healing for me in this sacrament is finding a regular confessor. Uh, I've been going to the same confessor for the last 16 years, and I go once a month regularly, and he knows me very well. He knows what my weaknesses and failings are, and, and the sacrament of confession has become a real sacrament of healing in my life. And it's not just I go and I list my sins, but I, I talk about my struggles. I talk about my, I talk about sins that have been committed against me that have wounded me, um, 
we, we really need to take advantage of the depth of the healing graces that are available to us through this sacrament. I would encourage Gemma to, to find a priest that you could be comfortable with going to confession on a regular basis, to have a regular confessor, somebody who knows you, somebody you, you, you begin to be very comfortable exposing what my spiritual director and my confessor says, you, you need somebody in your life to whom you can expose the deepest and the darkest stuff without shame, without fear of condemnation. And, and Gemma said something about uh, being uncomfortable. or um, And I think if you found a priest that you knew had just that gaze of Christ, there's never a gaze of condemnation, but a gaze of sheer love and mercy, that that gaze of love would allow you to, to use the biblical expression, to become naked without shame. And I don't mean that in the sense of clothing. I mean that in the sense of revealing mm -hmm. the deepest and the darkest that goes on in your heart mm -hmm. and in your life. Any thoughts, Wendy, for Gemma? Yeah, I think, you know, although you have this um, priest that you especially find it fruitful to go to confession with, it's not the only time that you go to confession and you have other experiences right. as well. And I, I'm the same way, you know, Sometimes I go to confession with a priest who, I, I for example, I once was confessing something about not taking regular prayer time, and this I didn't know this priest at all, and he looked at me like he didn't know what regular prayer time was. <laughs> like, don't you go to Mass on Sunday was kind of his reaction, and I thought well, his advice to me is not that helpful yes. because he, as a person, doesn't have the insight that would be Helpful. helpful to you, yes. So, and and isn't it sad? I mean, we we have. I know. I grew up with this impression that priests know all, and yeah, they're they all go to them for their wisdom. But we have to acknowledge there are a lot of priests who don't really understand or know how to help us live the teaching of the church. Sadly, it's, so you know, I came away from that experience a little. I don't know, thrown off at like not as much at peace as I would have liked to be after receiving you know, uh, the sacrament. And yet I am able to acknowledge still Christ is present. Yes. Christ hears my sins. That's Christ right. pours out grace upon me, but I'm not going to seek that same priest out right. for regular, um, growth in my life. Um, and so you have to, I guess, allow for some less than ideal experiences in the natural, on the human level, trusting in the spiritual realities while you're on your search, while you're looking for the a priest that is a good connection for you to be able to go to more regularly for confession, and that does make a big difference. We're not always in that situation in our lives. We do have to trust in the Lord that He's providing all that we need and that we can continue to present our desire for this um, more full experience of the sacrament to Him and keep searching for that right um, priest with whom to do that, and also to be praying for priests in that yes. ministry that they have, that they would be open to the Holy Spirit and a, a channel of grace to the body of Christ. Um, there's, you know, an image that isn't unlike sort of the, the very private conversation of husband and wife, you know, that might enable them to be more fully united in their marriage those conversations that are 
um, so necessary to the health of a marriage. Yes. That going to confession is necessary to the health of our a good union with the That's Lord. It's a great analogy, yeah. Um, and, and trusting that a little bit of uncomfortableness is not a sign that everything That's is wrong. Right. That's right. Because it can be hard to go into deeper places in conversation, even with someone we know loves us, yeah. like our spouse. So um, that's it's still a fruitful, worthy thing to be doing. Amen. There is one other comment in Gemma's question that I picked up on. She said, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. that she sometimes is afraid that she'll forget something. That's right. She'll fail, fail to confess fail everything. Fail to confess something. So. I, I have no crystal ball into your soul here, Gemma. And I don't, uh, if the shoe does not fit, please do not wear it. But I, I'm picking up there what might be a little scrupulosity. Uh, the Lord is so kind and merciful. Uh, if, you, <laughs> if you forget, honestly forget to confess something, it's not like he's up there, you know, ready to smack your hand with a ruler or something. Uh, you know, bring it up the next time you go to confession without fretting. He knows the intention of your heart. And so I'll just hold this out. Maybe, Gemma, based on what you said there, maybe you have an impression of the Lord himself that, that might need some, some healing. Uh, and, and I know our listeners have heard me say this before, but I'll, I'll say it again for those who haven't heard. The word mercy, and remember that's what the sacrament is, it's the sacrament of mercy, in a particular way, we, we receive, receive mercy in all the sacraments, but in a very particular way, the sacrament of mercy. The word mercy, the Latin is misericordia, and it means a heart that gives itself to those in misery. A heart that gives itself. He's not there to scold us or shame us. He's there to meet us right in our pain, right in our misery, and to bring healing. And there's, uh, I'll, I'll close with this. This great line in the Catechism that says something to this effect. Um, this is from memory, but I think it's quoting St. Augustine. And it says that the mercy we receive in the sacrament of confession is more powerful, is a more powerful act of God than the creation of the universe. Hmm. So when we receive those words of absolution, I absolve you of your sins in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What is happening in our hearts is more power. It was a more powerful act of God than the creation of the whole universe. What's happening, therefore, is a spiritual big bang beyond your wildest imaginings. So, you know, let's take advantage of that. Let's have the big bang go off in Ooh. our lives. Let's do it. <laughs> Amen. So, I just want to encourage everybody as we wrap up this episode uh, again to keep the questions coming. Uh, We'll get to them as we are able. If you're able to support the work of the Theology of the Body Institute, please click that patron link in our show notes. Your support goes a long way. Uh, Even if it's just a few dollars a month, becoming a patron of the Institute goes a long way to helping us to continue this ministry and get this good news out around the world. We're really becoming more and more a global mission. We've always had a global mission, but in these days of... um, the pandemic and the shutdown, we've, we've turned to the internet even more intently. And we're, we're, yeah, it's been, it's been amazing who we've been reaching in all parts of the world. 166 countries were represented in the online conference we had some weeks ago. And that, by the way, is still available to you if you didn't partake of all those wonderful speakers at the Theology of Body Institute online conference. Click the link in the show notes for that. 
Uh, those are still accessible. Uh, we'd, yeah, we'd love to have you benefit. I've, I've been watching one talk a day, and I know you've sometime been watching with me, Wendy, and there's over 80 presentations in there, and they're so enriching. Anyway, until next time, never forget you are a gift, a divine gift of life and love. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they're not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.